0: morning. Glad to have you here this morning. Uh, I want to make just one quick announcement. So um, we're starting the Foundations series and the reading plan um, a week from Monday. And uh, in the adult books there are um, a number of memory verses every week. And in the kids book there's just one. So we decided to just really focus on learning that one memory verse that the kids are learning. So every uh, person in the whole church, little kids through adults, we have memory verses and there's a little card that you can get over there that you can just tape in the front of your book to keep track of the memory verses. Um, it'll also be online if you decide to follow along, along in your app instead of uh, instead of using the books, that'll be there. And uh, one other just announcement, so we taught extensively through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, And because we did that, we didn't want to, when we were going through the whole year in the Bible, just kind of repeat everything we just taught. So we're going to do an extended series on creation starting next week. And then once we get to Exodus in the reading, then we're going to jump into the reading, uh, and all the sermons will be from a passage from the reading that week. So all the sermons will be aligned, Exodus through Revelation. But those first uh, five, six weeks, we're going to be doing an extended series on creation Um, because we don't want to just repeat what we just preached. So just wanted to make you aware of that. So uh, we have been in this series called, What Do We Do? And we started the series by talking about how we've each been given a unique shape and how God has shaped us each uniquely. And because of that shape, uh, then we want to engage in some of these issues by using our own personal shape that God has created us. And so we talked about how we each have different spiritual gifts and how those are given to us at the moment of our salvation to be used for the edification of the church and the glorification of God. And how we each have a different heart, different passions, different things we're really passionate about. So some people might spend all their time and a lot of their energy going towards uh, camp ministry or, or politics or some other thing. But we have different passions that we use and we use our shape in those ways. And then we all have different abilities. And so some person might play uh, piano and use that ability for God. Someone else uh, might have a different ability. I talked about how I'm the least handy person in the world. And so some people in our church that are handy, have helped me and my church to do things that I need to do. We all have different personalities. Some of us are extroverts and love to be around people. Others are introverts and love to uh, get energy from being alone. We all have different experiences. And I talked about how oftentimes it's our worst moments, our, our hardest times, that God refines us the most and uses those experiences to help others when they're going through similar Things. We've been talking about using our unique shape in in missions uh, to fight against racism and injustice, to care for those inside the church, to care for those outside the church, to protect life from womb to the tomb, and to engage in politics. We've talked about how we can each use our unique shape. But today, I want to talk about how we can be shaped by the gospel. How can we be shaped by the gospel? So let's open in prayer and pray that God uses this sermon today. Dearly Father, we just thank you. We thank you that you have again held off the rain. Every Sunday we rejoice at the good weather we've had, Lord. We thank you for uh, many who have a break this weekend, an extra day off and a chance to, to get away, and we miss them here this morning, but we thank you for their opportunity to rest in your presence, and to enjoy some maybe well-deserved and very needed time away. Lord, we thank you that we can gather, and we pray for our gathering on October 4th as we go back to the building, that you'll protect us and that uh, you'll allow it to be fruitful. And Lord, we pray for today as we open your word, Lord, that we'll be shaped by your word, that we'll allow your word to penetrate our hearts and change us. Lord, we need you. In your name we pray. Amen. We're all shaped by something. Uh, One of the strange sights on the Dutch windward islands in the Caribbean is the Divi Divi tree. Now, because the wind blows almost constantly from the east, all the branches grow on one side of the tree. So when you look at the Divi Divi tree, you can always know which way is east and which way is west. Now, the wind didn't accomplish that in a day or a week, we don't always see the influence that others, other people are having on us. It's not usually suddenly. It takes years. And so this tree, with the wind year after year after year blowing, just grows all to one side. See, we're all shaped by our circumstances. We're, we're shaped by our parents and how we were brought up. We're shaped by our family and, and how we interact with them. We're shaped by our friends. And the interactions we have. We're shaped by the media that we consume. We're shaped by the books that we choose to read. All these different things shape us, they influence our worldview, they influence how we think. But when we think about that, we need to be shaped by the gospel. I have to admit that, you know, when it comes to preaching, I'm not, I'm, I don't usually go with the old school acronyms or the alliteration. But today, I decided to go with an acronym. But I'm not very good at these acronym things, so they're not in chronological order. So you're just going to have to follow along and feel like, hey, that should be before that. Well, this is how it's spelled, so you're just going to have to go with me. So first, we need to see people in God's image. Genesis 1.27, God created mankind in His image. And the image of God He created them, male and female, He created them. When we mapped out this series, out my thought process for the sermon was living out the gospel in the public square. When we're out and interacting with our families, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, how are we a shining light to the outside world? And I believe that when we see others as image bearers of God, when we recognize that God created them and loves them, it should change the way we interact. 1 John 5, 7 says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. 1 John 5, 8. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we loved God, but rather that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. So here it's saying that that God showed His love in us, He sent His Son so that we might live through Him. And so the idea behind this is that as we go out into our workplaces, as we go to our, our families, as we as we go to our neighborhoods, that we're to live in Christ and to demonstrate who Christ is through our love for one another. And so when we think about how do I do that, how do I live in Him? Well, it, it begins with a relationship with Him. And here in this passage it says that He... He was the atoning sacrifice for us, that he died in our place. So if you're here today, just understand that Jesus died to save you from your sin and to provide a sacrifice on your behalf so that you can have eternal life with Christ. And if you've never made that decision, I, I encourage you to, to talk to me today. Maybe wave me down if you're in a car and I'll come out and talk to you. Christ provided a way for us to have eternal salvation. But if we want to live in Him and through Him, then we need to have a relationship with Him. So that brings us to our second letter, H, hear from God. Hear from God. Daily engage in God's Word so that we conform to God's will. Daily engage in God's Word so that we conform to God's will. We have an opportunity through this foundation series. We have all these books over there. And this is the uh, uh, the version for adults. There's one for teens, and there's one for kids. The kids have lots of fun things to do with them, uh, lots of different activities. And so the idea is that daily we want to hear from God, and they use this this acronym here as a way to study God's Word. Maybe you've never just. Maybe you've always had devotionals where it asks you questions about the text. We want you to engage in the text and ask questions of the text yourself. And so you read a passage and then you highlight a verse and then the act of writing the verse in the book helps you remember what the verse is about. So you highlight it, then you explain it. What that means is you try to figure out what is this verse saying? You're trying to understand what the verse is saying. You're trying to look at the context. Remember that context determines meaning. Last week, Pastor John used a great example of this. He he talked about 1 Chronicles 7.14. And oftentimes it's used in all these different ways in America, and it's a very familiar passage. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and and seek my face and pray, then I'll hear them from heaven and I'll heal their land. And I don't remember the exact rest of it, but basically... So as a nation, we need to turn and turn to God. And if we turn to God, then God will bless us. But that passage was actually written by God to the nation of Israel, whom he had promised this to. He didn't promise America a land like he did Israel. He didn't promise to bless America. Now, there are principles in that passage that are good for all of us to to see. (coughs) So if we recognize that when we've sinned we need to turn from our wicked ways we need to turn to God we need to pray we need to repent that God hears us as believers and 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 heals us and that's true we see that throughout the New Testament throughout everywhere else but oftentimes we we take a verse and we make it apply to something that it's not actually about when I was a a, a, a youth group back in the day a long time ago um we had a, our, our youth pastor left and so we had an interim youth pastor and and one, he, he worked a full-time job, but he just came in and kind of helped out. Well, you know, one week his work was running late, so he said, Hey, Phil, I can't be there tonight. Can you run it? Sure. So I'm a you know, junior in high school. I'm like, I got this, right? You know, I was on the leadership team. I was like, I'm going to teach something tonight. I don't need to prep, right? I know the Bible. I was, I'm a missionary kid. So I got my Bible out, opened it up to passages passage I was pretty familiar with. Here we go. And I just taught a lesson. Afterwards, man, that was good thoughts, you know, good stuff. I went home that night and I was doing my devotions and I read through it and all of a sudden I'm looking, and I'm like, Whoops. When I looked at the verses before it and looked verses after it, the, the context of what I was reading showed that I, I was way off. And oftentimes the easiest way to know what something means is look at the verses before it and look at the verses after it. Look at the context. Context determines meaning. When I have the wonderful Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons come over and they start to share their verses, what I often do is stop them and and, and let's read the verses before that and the verses after that. What this verse is actually saying is this. Context determines meaning. When you're reading the Bible, I want everybody to repeat after me these three words. Context determines meaning. Ready? Context Context determines determines meaning. meaning. So when you read your Bible for yourself and you look at a verse and you're like, okay, what does that mean? Look at the verses around it, trying to figure it out. So that's the second step. Explain. Third is apply. We need to apply what we read. We need to do this. If we just read the Bible and put a check mark and don't apply what it says, we turn God's Word into a book. God's Word is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates the joints and marrow. It's meant to be applied to our life to convict us of our sin, to show us where we need to respond. And that last step is our respond, to hear from God. James 1 says this, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they had heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So this is a tool to not just listen to God's Word, but to do what it says, to take the time to to journal and apply it to your life. And say, okay, I want to do something about this. And I want to challenge every single person in our church to do this reading plan. Maybe you've tried to read through the Bible in the year before and you do really well in Genesis and do really well in Exodus. Then you get to Leviticus and you kind of fall off. Well, this reading plan is two chapters a day, five days a week, so you can catch up on the weekends. And it, it, it goes over, the. it doesn't do every single chapter in the, in the Bible. It skips some of the genealogies and some of that other stuff. But, but it's giving you the big picture of what the Scriptures say. So I challenge you, men, I want to specifically challenge you. I know a lot of men don't usually read books for fun, and so reading is a little harder sometimes. I want to challenge you to take the lead in your family to do this, to get the books for your kids, to sit down at your dinner table and and go over the books with your kids, to study God's Word, to listen to God's Word, because if you want to be changed, you need to apply it to your life. And it's hard to apply something that you don't read. So... We need to see people as made in God's image. We need to hear from God. And we need to ask. Ask others how they're doing. Look for the needs of those who are around you. Physical needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs, relation, relational needs. 1 John three sixteen says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. If we're seeing others as made in God's image, and and we're daily going to God's Word to challenge us and cause us to, to be conformed to His will, then we need to go out into the world and ask others how they're doing. How can we be the love of Christ to those people? We don't know what their needs are if we don't ever ask. Romans 15.5 says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude and mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and with one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another just then, just as Christ accepted you. Why? In order to bring praise to God. That's why we accept others. And so if we want to be a shining light to a dark world, we need to live differently, but we also need to love differently. We need to listen. John Maxwell once said, People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I love this quote from my training manual from one of the mission trips I attended. As followers of Jesus... We often feel like we need to address other spiritual needs right away. The problem is, sometimes our friends are not ready for us to address those needs. They may be focused on relational and emotional issues and need someone to just listen. Or they may have had a bad experience that has caused them to reject spiritual input. Being an authentic friend is essential in our relationships. It is through genuine relationships that we build trust and help our friends with their deeper needs. We are called to care for others with sensitivity and patience. I still remember one time I was on a retreat with some people and and one of the leaders was there and I just said to him, I said, how are you doing? He said, good. I said, no, how are you really doing? I said, Phil, no one's asked me that in a really, really long time. He said, honestly, I'm really struggling. But we live so much on the surface that we miss out on the opportunity to meet people right where their real needs are. In our pre in premarital counseling, I teach uh, couples how to listen to each other. It's a lost art to stop and listen, and rather than waiting to have the next time that I can talk, I'm trying to hear what people's real needs are. How are you really doing? So we need to see people as made in God's image. Hear from God by daily engaging in His Word. Ask others how they're doing. And pray. Pray for opportunities to minister to the needs of others. Pray for opportunities to share the reason for the hope that we profess. We did a series on this and we talked about the idea of when we want to go out and, and, and impact others and, and have friends that we know that don't know Christ, come to know Christ, that we pray, pursue, and persuade. First, we pray that God will work in their lives. And then we pursue them through Relationships. And then we seek to persuade them by living in such a way that they want to know what's different. Amen. At the table, there's some dominoes. We've, been, we've come back to those a number of times. But the idea behind the dominoes is to take a domino and write the name of someone you know that doesn't know Christ. And to continue to pray for that person. Maybe keep it in your pocket, put it somewhere you see it every day in your house, put it on your desk at work. To pray, pursue, and persuade that person. My dad, when he was in high school, had a friend who started praying for him. And then she pursued him. She asked him to come to Youth for Christ every week. And then through that, as he heard God's word, he was persuaded. And he came to know Christ. Now because of that, the generations have changed. My dad was the son of an alcoholic. And he has changed. He's broken the chain. And now all all my siblings are following the Lord and and serving in ministry and grandkids doing that. And I have my nephews here. It's just awesome how God has worked because that one friend prayed for my dad, pursued my dad, and then persuaded him. In Luke 18, Jesus tells a parable that is often called the parable of the persistent widow. Jesus told his disciples a parable To show them, this is what the Scriptures say, this is what Jesus was doing, to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see to it that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones, who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off forever? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith on the earth. The purpose of this parable is that they should pray and not give up. And so my challenge to you today is to pray and not give up. This unjust judge didn't fear God. He didn't care what people thought. But the widow kept coming and coming and coming. And he rejects her and rejects her and rejects her. And she keeps bothering and pestering him until he finally gives in. And Jesus tells us to listen to what the unjust judge says. Now, he's not comparing God to an unjust judge but rather he's contrasting God. So the unjust judge finally gets so sick of these persistent requests that he gives in. But God wants to answer our prayers. God loves to bless His children. He says, Will not God bring about justice for His chosen ones who cry out to Him day and night? Will He keep putting them off? I tell you, He will see that they get justice and quickly. We're to cry out to God day and night. How often do you pray for that family member that doesn't know Jesus? For that co-worker that doesn't know Jesus? How often do you plead with God and persistently and passionately pray that God would intervene? Are you praying and pursuing and persuading? 1 Peter 3, "...but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord." Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But to do this with gentleness and respect. To live in such a way that our lives are persuasive. When people see us, they want to ask us, what's the reason for the hope that you have? In the middle of this pandemic, in the middle of everything around us just being horrible, nothing's normal, it's frustrating, how in the world do you have hope? As you face these uncertain times, as you face cancer or difficulties or job loss, how do you have hope? And people want to know. And so we pray, we pursue, and then we persuade them I have this hope because of Christ in me, living in Him. So we see people as made in God's image. We we hear from God through daily devotions. We ask others how they're doing. We pray for them and then we evangelize. In this series, we talked about racism and injustice and how to care for those inside the church and outside the church and how to be pro-life and how to engage in politics and ask the question, what do we do? But in the midst of thinking through each of those areas of how to live as a Christian in the public square and all these different areas of life, we can't lose sight of one thing. We have a mission from God. It's not the Blues Brothers movement. We have a mission from God. Acts 1.8 You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. I still remember uh, my youth pastor from 8th to 10th grade. I still remember this sermon. I will never forget it. On Acts 1.8 because back in the day there was a song in the 90's I got the power! I don't know if everybody remembers that song. But he just kept doing that over and over and over again in the sermon. I'll never forget it because every time he would say, when you go to face this, I got the power. And he wanted you to sing that song. But we have the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we walk through this life mumbling and murmuring and not realizing that we have the power of God dwelling inside of us. And we worry, well, what if we talk about God to our neighbor? What are we going to be able to say? We have the power of God. We receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us. It doesn't take the power of the Holy Spirit to sit at home and do nothing. But if we take steps to to go out and share the good news of Jesus Christ, we have to remember it's not by our own power. It's not on our own accord. We have the power of the Holy Spirit given to us so that we can boldly proclaim the truth that Christ has died and risen from the dead and now reigns. And we can have eternal life by giving our life to Him. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. LifeWay did a study recently and found that those who attend church more than once a month, these are Protestant believers, 80% believe they have a personal responsibility to share their faith, and yet 61% had not told another person about how they became a Christian or how to become a Christian the previous six months. 75% feel comfortable in their ability to effectively communicate the gospel, but yet they don't share. When asked how many times they have personally invited an unchurched person to attend a church service or some other program at your church in the last six months, 48% had done it zero times, 33% one or two times, 19% three or more times. 20% say they rarely or never pray for the spiritual status of others. We know, we know, we read the Bible, we know we're supposed to share about Jesus. We know, we all know that. And yet, what are we doing in the public square to be the light, to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, to share the good news of the gospel? Matthew nine thirty five. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Today, I am again asking the Lord to send us out to our harvest fields. To proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God in our homes, our workplaces, our neighbors, our schools, wherever we go. We have a responsibility as kingdom citizens to to live out the principles that, that God has given us. We have a responsibility to our neighborhoods. We have a responsibility to our country to vote and go out and vote this November. We have a responsibility um, in our workplaces to do a good job. We have a responsibility in all these places to, to, to serve in our giftedness, to use our unique shape. And as we do all those things, as we, you know, I'm excited to coach soccer on Tuesday, even though I never really played soccer. It'll be interesting. But I want to be out in... The community and impacting the community. But as we do all those things, which are good, important things, we can't lose sight of the mission. I'm super excited. At the end of September, I'm going to go on the vacation that I was supposed to go on in April and then was supposed to go on in the summer and it kept getting pushed back because of COVID. And so I'm praying it doesn't get pushed back again. But we're going to be at the ocean. One of my favorite things at the ocean is, is playing with the kids, you know, out in the, in the water. And Sandy often will sit in her chair, and she's in her happy place at the beach, sitting in her chair, just watering the sun. And I'm out in the water with the kids playing catch and stuff. But what happens is, I see my wife, like let's say my wife is right there where the, where the speaker is. And we start right where the waters are, you know, we're, we're right there. And as we play, because of how the water works, we just slowly drift. And if you don't pay attention, Sandy's here and we're way over there where those cars are. How did that happen? Well, with the waters, we just slowly drifted away. And so we have to keep walking back and, and walking back. And I believe that's what happens in our lives, is that we have this mission that was given to us from God. We say, okay, we've got to accomplish this mission. But as the waves of life hit us, we just slowly drift away. Next thing you know, we're way over there. And we've completely lost sight of the mission. So oftentimes we need restarts. We need things to kick us back into gear, to point back to the mission and go, Okay, I've got to come back. I've drifted too far. Which brings us to our last point. We need to disciple others. Matthew 28, our mission, go and make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Discipleship. Make disciples of all the nations. I believe strongly that discipleship happens best in the context of relationships. That's why we created the whole discipleship pathway. And COVID has kind of pushed that aside to a little bit of when we're going to start that. But because I believe that discipleship happens best in the context of relationships. And in Galatians 6, it says that brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. A D group is designed to help you carry each other's burdens, to help you, if you mess up, if you sin, to restore to be restored back into a right relationship with God. And this time, now is the best time to get involved in a D group. Why is it the best time? Well, because large group gatherings are kind of uh, hard to do in the midst of COVID. So getting together with a group of three to five guys or three to five ladies is an awesome opportunity to still keep those relational contexts that we often lost through, through COVID. What's another reason? Well, because a lot of us may have never committed to reading as much as two chapters a day, every day, five days a week, and so to have some accountability to learn and grow from that, to have a group that helps you stay on task. But not only that, if you just read the Word by yourself, it'll be pretty easy to let it drift off. But if every week you're coming together and you've read the same exact chapters that the other three to five guys or girls have read, and you're discussing them, And then you come on Sunday, starting once we get to Exodus. And the sermon is from that same reading. It's hitting the same thing time and time again. And then if you have kids, maybe in your family you're doing that same thing with the kids and you're discussing it there. The Word of God is going to come alive. When I was at First Baptist, when we started this, we did this one year through the Bible. And so in my life groups, we were... Teaching from this and my D groups were discussing this and in the sermon it was doing it. I was reading in my daily devotions, the word of God came alive in a way that had never come alive to me before. And so I encourage you, we have a unique opportunity. Oftentimes in the midst of COVID, we we put off things. We'll we'll get to it later. And maybe even kind of putting off your, your spiritual disciplines. They say I'll get back to that once this is all done. But I want to encourage you, now is the time to get plugged in. Now is the time that we need it more than ever. Over there there's a sign up. Now when we talked about D groups, we said we're never we're not gonna do sign ups because we don't just pair random people together. But what we want to do is we want, if you're interested in a D group and you don't have one, we want to have you sign up because we want to try and help help people find groups. Maybe there's a group that needs a fifth person. Maybe there's some people in there that can help you. Uh invite some others that that might not be interested in the d-group but once you talk to them about what it's about or maybe you just want to know more information about what a d-group is you are like, i just i don't even know what that is i want to i want to know more i'll tell you what it's it's leading is way different than if you lead a bible study and you have to prepare everything and teach everything you're all just reading the same scriptures together you're coming and you're engaging in god's word together and you're you're sharing prayer requests and you're praying for each other and you're keeping each other accountable i encourage you do this now is the time. So this series starts a week from, the, the creation series starts on Sunday next week, but the reading plan starts a week from Monday. Still plenty of books to get to sign up. And So we need to see people as made in God's image, hear from God, doing these foundation journals is a great way to do that, by doing daily devotions. Ask others how they're doing, invest in people's lives, pray, Grab one of those dominoes. Be praying for someone to pray, pursue, and persuade them about who Jesus is. Evangelize, because we have the power of the Holy Spirit, and make disciples. We can't lose sight of our mission. Go and make disciples of all the nations. That's our goal. We have a commandment to follow, love God, love others, and a mission to do. Make disciples. Let's do that. Dearly Father, Lord, I thank you. Thank you for who you are. Lord, you are so good. Lord, it's so easy to drift from the mission. It's so easy to lose sight of what you've called us to do. To get caught up in all the distractions of life, especially in the midst of this pandemic. To to focus on on Governor Whitmer or, or no football or all these other things and to get so worried and stressed and focused on all those things that we lose sight of the mission. so easy to get so angry that we we lose sight of the call to love others and to not vilify those that are made in God's image even if they're people we disagree with. Lord, help us to love you our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love others in the same way that you loved us and to be on mission, to make disciples of all the nations. In your name we pray.